Maximum. We're going to welcome to the airwaves Councilmember Antonio Reynoso. Uh, welcome to Maxim Murphy. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. So we're discussing uh, housing policy writ large, but also going to focus specifically on rezonings and the Bush rezonings and the, the rezoning proposal and the news that came out this week. And uh, I guess the best place to start is why don't you give us a little background on the Bushwick rezoning conversation? How did the community plan start and why did you decide to become part of that? Yeah, so this is not your typical rezoning uh, the Bush of rezoning isn't one of Mayor de Blasio's uh, 10 communities that he chose um, that were ideal for rezoning. This one was actually initiated by the community board. Community board four uh, started seeing out-of-context development happening on mid-blocks in Bushwick. We're talking about one- and two-family homes getting torn down and seeing six-, eight-, and 12-story buildings go up in the middle of a block where there are one-family row houses. Um, they wanted to do something about that and decided to ask uh, former councilwoman Diana Reyna um, to move forward with a rezoning plan that could start dealing with that issue. Um, uh, that was at the end of her term and the beginning of Councilmember Rafael Espinal and myself. So we took the we took on the rezoning and decided that we weren't going to do the same type of processes that we traditionally have seen in the state of New York, which has uh, the council members kind of making deals at the last minute during a EULA process um, and having frustrated community members coming out and protesting. Um, we just didn't want to go through that. So we said we we're going to start a process that would allow for the community to have input. That process lasted about five to six years in which we allow for the community to dictate uh, what they wanted to see in their community. Rafael Espinal and myself did not have a vote in any of the decision-making. Um, so after six years, working with the city, by the way, DCP was actually a part of the the process for about four of those years. Um, so afterwards, they got a plan together called the BCP or the Bushwick Community Plan. We presented it to the administration, um, hoping that this time things would be different. And instead, we got snubbed by the city. The city said they did not want to move forward with the community's plan, that they wanted to do something that was much more aggressive in Bushwick. So... Rafael and I decided to shut down uh, the process um, because we didn't want to negotiate uh, and do the same thing that the you know other council members might have done or how other rezonings have, have happened. So talk about the differences between the community plan and uh, the neighborhood plan or the, the proposal that the de Blasio administration has made for Bushwick. What do you see as the primary differences between those two approaches? So I, I want to do three approaches. I, I want to do a a no-action scenario, then I'm going to do the BCP's plan scenario, and then I'm going to do the DCP or the city's action. Um, Everyone no action- should be taking notes. Yes, while take out your notebooks. Of- yeah. No, this, this is great. Go ahead. Yeah, so a no-action scenario, right now it's a mostly an R6 district that hasn't been rezoned, I believe, either 1964 or 1969. So we've been relegated to the same type of housing or the same type of, rezo- of zoning since ni- the ni- late 1960s. Um, that no-action scenario would give us about 6,000 units of, of market-rate housing. So zero affordable housing, 6,000 units of market-rate housing. Um, that, we think, is unacceptable. It doesn't, uh, it, we don't contribute to the greater good of the city of New York by allowing that to, to be the norm. And when you say that gives us, that, that's the capacity that exists now. If someone wanted to develop, they could develop on different parcels 6,000 new units. Exactly. The capacity that we have 
in Bushwick, given the R6 zoning, allows for up to 6,000 units of housing and all market rate. Uh, and these are these are not just any lot. This is this is what we call lots that are high opportunity lots. So this is absolutely a scenario that can and will probably happen in Bushwick, considering how valuable the land has gotten. So that's a no action scenario, which is not what we want. The gentrification has already hit Bushwick, and that scenario um, doesn't assist us in any way uh, at, at figuring out a way to deal with gentrification. Then I want to get the, then the the Bushwick plan. The Bushwick plan allows for the 6,000 units of market rate housing to, ma- to remain, to exist. But what we're doing is having those uh, units now be placed in areas that make more sense. So we're talking about wider streets or wider avenues near transit hubs. So we moved all that density to Broadway, uh, Knickerbocker, Wyckoff, and Cypress, which are, which tend, which are larger um, streets that are right next to train stations. So we wanted to move the density away from these mid-blocks where there's one and two family homes and put them in these larger blocks. So all of that density would be moved there, so you would still maintain 6,000 units of market-rate housing in Bushwick. The difference is that because we're moving the density to the transit hubs, we're allowed to get uh, MIH, or Mandatory Inclusionary Housing. So that is activated under the Bushwick Community Plan. So we would get, on top of the 6,000 market rate units, 2,000 units of affordable housing. So what we're doing is seeing an increase from 6,000 market rate units to 8,000 units overall, of which 2,000 would be uh, would be affordable housing. So that's the Bushwick's plan. Um, and then the last plan, which is DCP's plan, the mayor's plan, accounts for almost 9,000 to 10,000 units um, of housing, of which 1,800 would be affordable housing. So we're talking about uh, an increase of, almost, of about 4,000 units overall. Um, uh, I'm sorry, I apologize. Almost 6,000 units extra on top of the 6,000 we would already get. And of that 6,000 units, 1,800 would be affordable housing. Our plan, uh, our plan has more affordable housing and abides by principles that have been put forth by the de Blasio administration to move housing or to develop housing in transit hubs. So those are the three scenarios that we have now. The no action scenario is, is unacceptable. And we, as a community and council members, believe that the mayor's plan is also an unacceptable scenario. So, so we, say, say more about what's so unacceptable with the mayor's plan. I mean, what's what's the problem with a lot more housing if the if the affordable numbers are pretty close, eighteen hundred and two thousand? Um, what's the problem with adding a lot more units that you know some argue could take a lot of pressure out of the market? So, so the whole idea of pressure out of the market. Um, uh, for the people in the Busher community plan and for myself um, is just not something that we, we principally agree on. Uh, Williamsburg has seen a, uh, a more development than arguably anywhere else in the city of New York. And we are still seeing a need for even uh, high market rate housing. Um, we, a New York Times story has recently said that a significant amount of market rate housing in Manhattan is, is sitting vacant, I think up to 50% of new housing um, is sitting vacant. So this idea of I think that's at, at the very, very higher end of the of the market, but go ahead. Right. The, the, the apartments that would be built in Bushwick would be at the higher end of that market, maybe not at the billion-dollar range. We're talking about 
um, one bedroom apartments going for four or five thousand dollars a year, which is just nowhere near uh, a fulfilling of a need. Uh, and so we think that that type of development, uh, the increase in units of market rate to, to that degree, um, would uh, continue this process of having landlords uh, displace or use uh, eviction uh, illegal eviction tactics to get people out of their homes. Um, and our plan has more affordable housing units, which is truly what we need here in the city of New York. Um, so I would challenge the mayor's office more so than the community and ask why 2,000 units of affordable housing is not something worth, worth doing after six years of work. Was there also a difference uh, in how the community plan approached manufacturing areas within the rezoning footprint? Yeah, so uh, there's not a large manufacturing area, but there is uh, uh, an area that uh, is sits or abuts the, the, the IBZ in Williamsburg, which is the industrial business zone. Uh, and there was, uh, in the plan, it, w- it was a very comprehensive plan, and economic development was a big part of it. We wanted to make sure jobs existed um, in Bushwick and that we weren't an exclusively residential neighborhood. Uh, in the buildings uh, that we're talking about, uh, there are jobs currently in Bushwick. Uh, and jobs in those buildings. And in one of those cases, uh, it's, uh, it, we turned it from manufacturing to uh, office space. So HRA uh, currently houses uh, a significant amount of their Brooklyn staff member, staffers in uh, the IBZ that they want to modify to, uh, to housing. Uh, this, the Busher community said, we don't want to move property, uh, move properties from manufacturing to residential unless we get more. So just to put it in context, moving from an R6 to an R7 will produce a significant amount of money for any developer that wants to take on uh, the development of a project in uh, R6 to R7 uh, to an R7A project. For those but not some, familiar with the terminology, that basically just means allowing higher development. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so instead of having, more maybe, density. Uh, instead of having yeah, maybe a six-story building, you got a 10-story building. There's money to be made there, but a manufacturing property to a residential, the 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 the, the amount of money that you're making there is 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 significant. We're talking about square footage from about twenty one to twenty four dollars a square foot in manufacturing, to almost two hundred and fifty dollars a square foot in residential. So we just thought if you're going to rezone manufacturing, the community wants more. We're talking about just not in my age, but consider maybe fifty percent of those housing units should be uh, affordable. Like, we want to have a conversation about figuring out a way to maximize the opportunity within the manufacturing district because that's where the most money is going to be made by the developers. The city said they didn't have tools in the toolbox to do that, so the community decided, let's take it out of the rezoning, leave it manufacturing, and allow for any of these developers that want to convert from manufacturing to residential to go through a private application process um, to come to through the council and through the ULERP so we could have community-based agreements, and other things that can allow us to get more uh, affordable housing in these projects. Um, so, uh, And we've done that before. So Rafael Espinal in his district has a 100% affordable housing project in which they, mo- they, they went from manufacturing to residential. So it is possible. And just say it just a little bit more, you know, these, these rezonings and these, whether it's a community-driven plan or when the city comes in about the, with, the, with their plan, you know, there's often a whole lot of other things as part of these plans that are sort of like the community development aspects, school seats, uh, parks, et cetera. 
any of those pieces at essence here? You know, where where was was there any sort of disagreement rub over any of that those pieces, or is it really? really about the the housing and the number of market rate units so to to be very clear we never negotiated with the city of new york outside of the bush community uh committee so we never got into those conversations and i want to be very clear the time that you get the 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 time in which you get into those conversations with the city are at the end of the ULIP process where you're fighting to get more parks maybe a Another two million for a park space. I want this school. Right. I want my roads fixed, and it's part of this backroom dealing that exists in the city council. And it's all it's all it's all a dog and pony show into the last two weeks of a ULERP. So we, uh, Rafael and I, decided that we were not going to go through that process. We did not want to be that. We didn't want to go through a typical process um, that justifies all these fears that these communities have about council members going into back rooms and making last minute deals with the administration on things that should be well a lot more uh, uh better planned i guess um than, than what they are right now so we never went into a back room never went in with the city to negotiate any aspect of this rezoning we gave them the bushwick rezoning plan that encompasses conversations about schools parks transportation health care and so forth all of that is in the Busher Community Plan mm-hmm. and it's publicly available on BusherCommunityPlan.org. So we don't have a representative from the administration here, but if they were here, I suspect what they would say is, look, the the whole rationale for our approach to rezonings is to create more density. That's our prescription for addressing some of the city's housing crisis. We feel the city hasn't built enough. And so creating as much density as possible is the whole raison d'etre for the plan. It's why we targeted these neighborhoods that we thought had the potential to add density over what they were already zoned for. That's what we've asked East Harlem, East New York, Far Rockaway, Inwood, Jerome, all the other neighborhoods have been rezoned. That's what we've asked them to do, and they've done it. And so that's why we feel as though trying to deal with a plan in Bushwick that resists that is just out of step with our whole strategy. What would your reaction to that argument be? Uh, Two things. You named all those rezonings. Every single one of those rezonings has had a significant amount of pushback from local communities, um, maybe outside of Far Rockaway, um, which has been a, a divestment in a significant way by prior administrations. The Busher Community Plan is not a high opportunity area. The Busher Community Plan is uh, significantly a built out community. We also don't have large swaths of waterfronts or manufacturing spaces in which we could really drum up density. This is a pretty built out community um, with very little opportunity. Um, also, in these other communities that you talked about, there were a significant amount of city-owned sites. The city-owned sites allowed for council members to, to show um, you know, thousands of units of affordable housing on top of the MIH that they would be getting in their local communities. We have um, a maximum of 80 units of affordable housing that can be produced in city-owned land in Bushwick just because it doesn't exist. So the circumstances of Bushwick are... Are, are very different or unique than other communities. So the fact that Bushwick, by the way, came to the administration and said we're willing to do something, and they were able to come out with a plan that sustained the 6,000 units of market rate and added 2,000 units of affordable housing was a good compromise for a community or a district that was being overlooked by this administration um, uh, regarding affordable housing. So I see it more as this is gravy to their affordable housing plan. This is stuff that you wouldn't have gotten any other way. 
It's almost like you're going to a potluck and you come in with uh, a pie and they turn you away and say, your pie is not big enough. Um, it's like we're doing you a favor. And the city instead wanted to take this opportunity to try to really um, uh, uh, build out Bushwick in a way that is completely out of context. We are talking about putting, uh, we want to put at, at max on Broadway, let's say 12 story buildings, which are very large in a community that is mostly two and three family homes. They want to do 14 and 16 stories. Now, so you have to just like look at the bigger picture here. And I really feel like the administration lost an opportunity to finally push a rezoning in which a community had the opportunity to self-determine itself, right? And move through a process. And I think it could have been a win-win for this administration, for the city of New York. Um, but again, the mayor, I believe, is going to leave with a black eye and a legacy related to affordable housing um, that is comparable to Bloomberg. Well, we don't have time to go into all that. But last couple of questions. Um, one is, you know, given what you just said there, though, you know, that on one hand, you're arguing that this would be gravy for the administration. On the other hand, you started this conversation by saying doing nothing is is not acceptable. Right. That the that the do nothing results would be detrimental for your community. So how do you square those? I mean, there isn't doesn't that put pressure on you to f- come to some agreement with them, not just sort of tell them they have to come to you? No, no. The, the, both scenarios are bad. The city scenario is worse. So hmm. we made an assessment here where uh, the city scenario would, would spur development at a faster rate than a no, than a no, uh, than a no action scenario. So if, uh, if the, uh, if the development is going to happen, the slower snail's pace in Bushwick, I think, is more appropriate than the accelerated development uh, projects uh, that would happen under the city's plan. So okay. uh, it's, uh, it's the lesser of two evils. All right. Last last minute here with uh, City Council Member Antonio Reynoso. We want to get you on one other topic that, of course, um, has been central to your work in the City Council that's less solely focused in your district and more citywide, and that is about the city's waste management. Um, Political New York, much credit to them, put out a great series on this recently. Um, you're very you're very involved in that. But um, just in our last minute here with you, can you say something about your plans, ideas for moving forward? What's going to happen to alter the city's waste management um, that can make any real appreciable difference? Or is there something you're going to do? Is there some action you're going to take in the city council to try to move this ahead? Um, yes. And it has to happen through the city council because this administration has lacked boldness, has lacked the vision. Um, they're cowards when it comes to like really pushing uh, um, uh, a, a zero waste goal that can actually be accomplished. We're going to be moving forward with uh, mandatory organics recycling in the city council that'll uh, start the process of educating and informing and actually recycling organics, which uh, accounts for about 33% of our waste here in the city of New York. Uh, when it comes to the climate change work that we need to do related to recycling, um, it's going to almost come exclusively from the city council because the mayor just really hasn't uh, followed through on any of his initiatives that he's uh, that he set forth um, originally when we were talking about getting to zero waste. Well, we will have you back on to discuss that topic. And, of course, we'll uh, we'll also hopefully be diving more deeply into that ourselves and talking with some folks from the administration. City Council Member Antonio Reynoso, thanks so much for taking some more time with us. Good to good to talk to you again. Good to talk to you, to you too. Take care, guys. 
interesting point there about the organics recycling. I'll note that we have uh, participated in kind of a pilot project uh, in my neighborhood in the Bronx. We've had two of the uh, brown recycling bins stolen from hmm. our house. So apparently the, ex- the excitement for organics recycling is so powerful. People are willing to even break the law to or be part of it. special interests that work to undermine the Maybe. pilot program. That could be. That's true. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> well, oh, goodness. you have to have a more cynical uh, look Jeez, at things. Ben, that's depressing. Uh, <laughs> in our last couple minutes here on the larger topic of the day, how are you thinking about it? I mean, City Limits covers this so closely, more closely than any publication in the city. How are you sort of thinking about where, with now two years left in the de Blasio administration, obviously assuming the mayor fulfills the rest of his term, um, you know, what's the sort of landscape that you're looking at in terms of these neighborhood rezonings? Well, I think it was interesting before these recent developments, we were thinking about, you know, where is the conversation on potential next neighborhoods, maybe not to be acted on by this administration, but to lay some groundwork, as is sometimes the case for what future neighborhoods might be. And people have thrown out names of areas that that have potential for for new density for a couple of years. And we're wondering if the administration would start to, to dive into that. And perhaps they are behind the scenes. But I think here you have, you know, in Southern Boulevard and to a larger extent, Bushwick, things that have kind of blown up in the administration's face. You do, however, have the Gowanus rezoning, which also had a long community-generated process with some cooperation uh, involving the city. And that is kind of the next shoe to drop. And we assume that that is going to go more smoothly. It's a different neighborhood, a different context. But so, you know, there will be the potential for a win there. One of the points that the council member made I thought was interesting was just that, you know, this was a chance for de Blasio to, to emerge with uh, kind of a victory and a satisfaction of some of his critics who've uh, criticized not just his, his housing policy per se, but the process behind it as not being any more inclusive than Bloomberg's was and to maybe accept some lower numbers of housing in the name of endorsing that, you know, it is possible for communities and the city to work together and achieve more housing and, and, you know, both be a little unhappy or a little happy. Yeah. I mean, it does seem, again, I haven't covered this day to day, but, you know, it does seem like they took a very similar approach that they've taken to some of these, these other neighborhood rezonings. But, you know, to, to, sort of counter Councilman Reynoso just a little bit. I mean, I don't know that the Bushwick process was really that much different than the East Harlem process or what we've seen in Gowanus, you know, with with pretty long term painstaking work done by community coalitions. I get what he said about, you know, sort of how certain things might have started or looked. But, you know, these things happen in other places, too. And it was that some of the local council members seemingly wanted to push things ahead more than others. You know, he said some very interesting things there about how he and the other council member involved, Rafael Espinal, didn't want to necessarily go down the path of making some of those backroom deals. You know, I don't know that they they really even got to the point of starting to have those conversations when they were getting hung up on on the housing differences initially. Um, You know, I think one of the things about Gowanus potentially moving forward is that this would be one of these big exceptions to the rule in terms of where these rezonings have been targeted by the de Blasio administration, which is really a subject for some significant scrutiny, which we've given and others have at different times about targeting virtually only low-income communities, mainly of color, for, for these neighborhood rezonings when if they took a more comprehensive approach and worked with different types of neighborhoods, you might 
push people to see that there's more of a citywide vision that includes lots of people being asked and lots of communities being asked to take on more density and, and things like that that create perhaps some more buy-in. It would bolster the argument of shared sacrifice. Well, we'll be covering the fallout at City Limits. I'm sure at Gotham Gazette.com. Com as well, and is certainly talking about it again here at Max and Murphy. Listen to us again next Wednesday at five. Until then, have a great week in the greatest city in the world. 